0: All right, well, uh, good to be back with you guys this morning. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. We are on week number three of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called Pause. And uh, this series is all about learning to sort of hit the pause button in our lives and to, uh, in order to sort of wait on God, in order to, to sort of create some space. For God to work and for God to speak and for God to lead and that kind of stuff. We've been talking about saying, boy, we live in a, in really an instant gratification kind of culture and environment, don't we? We're used to getting what we want, when we want. This is the age of cell phones and Netflix and on-demand movies and, you know, you push a button, even Amazon, right? You push a button and almost instantly you have access to anything you want. You know, millions and millions and millions, billions and billions probably, pieces of information and, and things you can order and things you you can watch and things you can, I mean, all this kind of stuff, it's, it's sort of information overload to the point where it trains us, right, day after day after day after day, it just, it trains us on impulsivity, on just, on just getting whatever we want, whenever we want, that kind of thing. What we've been saying is that God says throughout the pages of his book, he says, boy, if you could just learn to pause there's a better way to live, right? There is, there is something better than just, than just impulse, than just whatever I want, to just kind of going after an instant, instant this, instant that, all that kind of stuff. He said, if you would learn to pause and look to, look to me, God says, man, I've got something way better in store. If we could just learn to, to leave room and space for God to lead and guide and work, if we could learn to pause and turn to Him, it would revolutionize our lives. Today, I want to talk about kind of take it the next step further. I want to talk about learning to pause rather than what I'm calling, rather than just presume, rather than just take matters into our own hands, rather than just live on impulse, if you will. I'm gonna start out by uh, telling you a story about uh, the the early days of Tina and my love, and so I'm talking about our dating days a little bit. Tina and I met at a uh, a small college in the middle of Iowa called Central. It's a it's a small liberal arts college, and uh, I was a year uh, ahead of Tina. I always tell her I'm older and wiser, you know, kind of thing, but she doesn't mind. But anyway, but, but uh, so I started a year ahead of her. But I I came to Christ my freshman year in college. So by the time Tina and I met, um. I was pretty darn set on like, hey, I want to, I want to follow Jesus, and uh, uh, and so if you kind of trace our our uh, relationship through the years, uh, we did a lot of things right. There's a lot of things that went well. Like we started out just as friends. We were friends for several years. Uh, at least two years. We kind of did life together. We were part of the same kind of student ministry on campus. It eventually became uh, associated with InterVarsity. And uh, so we worshiped together. We were in Bible studies together. We uh, were in leadership and dif- different things together. We kind of just got to know e- each other and just kind of got to, to do life together. Well, after my junior year uh, in college, I took some time <laughs> off and I went and did missions in Russia for a while, came back, and Tina and I finished up our, our senior year of college together. And that's we Then we started hanging out a little then we were kind of like, gosh, I kind of like you, you know. <laughs> kind of, kind of, nice. I kind of like spending time with you. But uh, even even then, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just. And remove that from your memory <laughs> like if you can blot it out. <laughs> no. But anyway, but uh, even even then, I mean, there were some things that we did right. Like there was, uh, we wanted, Tina and I both wanted uh, to have lives that honored God. And so even before uh, we started really dating and, and pursuing that kind of thing, I took some time and I paused and I went, I, I spent some time praying, I spent some time seeking God, even got some counsel from, uh, some, from, from some other Christ-following friends about whether they thought that it would be a good idea, and, and that kind of thing for, for Tina and I to start hanging out. And so and I kind of felt like I got the green light from God, like, yeah, this is from me, and and uh, this is honoring uh, to me, and that kind of thing. And so we started hanging out and getting to know each other. Uh, I'm trying to think what to share, what not to share. One of the things we were committed to uh, is is, uh, I mean, purity was a big deal for us. And so uh, it was something that we said up front. We said, you know what? We're not even going to kiss. I'm not even going to kiss you until we know for sure if we're going to get married or not. And so we didn't uh, until we were engaged. And, and what that did is it allowed some space for us to get to know each other's heart and character and and uh, got to watch each other's love for God. And I have to say, it's a pretty amazing thing. There's some things that went really well. As you can imagine, uh, we started uh, you know, moving down this road it didn't take long before like yeah she's the one right (laughs) And, and uh and so we got engaged not long after that and uh and like I said we had a pretty good start but it was at the point that we started moving towards marriage that things got a little bit wonky on my end especially and here's what I mean by that I I had prayed about I had paused and I had sought God on the front end but now that we had gotten engaged it was sort of like I know how this all plays out Right, like I got this. I can picture it all in my mind. I'm a visionary by nature, and so I had plans. I had thoughts, and so we started preparing to get married. We started preparing for the rest of our lives, and I'm just kind of executing plans. I'm thinking, you know what? We've been a part of this awesome student ministry on campus, and so I can see this playing out. Of course, I should, you know, jump on board. I don't even need to pray about it really, like a little bit, but like I I got this. Like I know, of course, we should be, we should go on staff and work for them. And so I had this whole plan in my mind. We're gonna get married this summer. We're gonna move to Ark. Arkansas. Why in the world? I thought that was from God. I still don't know. (laughs) Move to Arkansas and be a Razorbacks fan, you know, kind of thing. And we would work on the university campus there. And so we thought, okay, this is going to be great. I mean, this is all, you know, everything sort of working out. but this is where it kind of took a, a little bit of a different turn, even though I had all these great plans, and I had this idea of my own timeline that I kind of imposed and thought, well, this has got to be God's timeline, right? And I, I had my own plans, my own work opportunities. I thought, this has got to be from God. I mean, remember, I prayed about it back then. I prayed about if I should date Tina. This all just kind of flows from there. And, uh, and so you can imagine, fast forward six months, and nothing was working out um, the way I thought it would. Um, Tina was like, man, I feel like we're rushing to, to get married, and she's like, I, I think I think maybe we need to pull back the reins and slow things down a little bit, and I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> this is clearly from the pit of hell, right? I mean, like, <laughs> you just need to get on board with my plan. Uh, things with uh, taking this other job in Arkansas didn't work out. I mean, could have, but we just felt terrible about it every step we took until we finally had to pull the plug on that, and all of a sudden, six months later, we find ourselves Still engaged, but living in separate states, working in church, different churches, and, and thinking, where is this going, God? I have no idea what you're doing. So things were not good. That was a hard season. I hate long-distance long relationship kind of things. I don't know about you, but uh, it was rough, but it got rougher. One of, the, one of the ways that Tina and I were staying connected during that era is we would read books together. And so we were reading a, a book called, uh, we did quite a few relationship, marriage books, some of that kind of stuff. And so we read through this book called Fit to Be Tied. And it was a book by Bill and Lynn Hybels, um talking about kind of the, the dating and the courting uh, stuff and starting out right so that your marriage will be on a solid foundation. And uh, there was this one part where uh, the authors were saying, you know, it takes in order to have healthy marriage, it takes two healthy individuals. And so he talks about that they had been dating for several years when they started noticing there's some unhealthy patterns, some unhealthy things going on in their lives. And they said, you know what? I think we need to take a big pause. We need to take a time out here and sort of back off, slow down. In fact, they ended up uh, going cold turkey and not having any contact with one another for like a year or something like that, six months to a year. And, uh, and... Uh, during that time they just worked on their own hearts and they worked on their own relationship with Jesus. They tried to find some healing from stuff in the past and this kind of thing. And so Tina's reading this and I'm reading this and Tina's like, you know what? There's something that, that I feel like is from the Lord about this. She's like, and I'm wondering if we don't need to hit the pause button and take a break as well. And I'm like, no, <laughs> there's, there's nothing about that. Re- no. And she's like, well, here." You know, being the more godly of the two of us she's like she's like, she's like well, what if we just pray about it and i literally i can't remember thinking to myself i don't need to pray about it like i don't i don't need to pray about it because i understand what god's will is this is not from god kind of thing right i mean, i didn't actually say it quite like that but that's what's going on in my head and uh and finally she convinces me because she can be very persuasive when she wants because i kind of liked her but but she's but she's like she's like what if we take a couple of weeks and we just fast and pray about it and when we get back together we'll just see if god's kind of spoken in the midst of it and so we i agreed to it. i'm like fine you know God okay. so we we fast and we pray for a couple weeks we get back together and she's like yeah I, th- I think this is from the lord the more i pray about it the more I, i'm like i think this is what god's asking of us and i'm like I don't think so. I still don't think so. So he so said, okay, well, we're going to go back at it again. We're going to spend another couple weeks fasting and praying. And I'm like, you know what? I'm getting hungry. <laughs> like, so at this point, I think I better like, you know, start praying like for real here. And it was in that moment when I was almost forced to pause. It was in that season that I felt like I really heard God speak. And I, I heard him, of course, not audibly, but sort of in my, in my own spirit, just sort of uh, say, you know, will you trust me with tina will you trust me with this relationship and will you will you do what i'm asking you to do will you surrender this relationship to me or is it more important than me (laughs) kind of thing and so i i was like okay god i mean kind of went through a process and kind of opened up my heart and my soul to the idea and came back and said okay i I agree. I mean, I've been kind of a jerk. <laughs> but uh, And so we did the six-month thing. We did no contact, no communication for six months during that time. We did some counsel- individual counseling stuff. Uh, we learned a ton about who we are and who we aren't. We found some healing. I have to say, I mean, God did some stuff in us during that era that was unbelievable. I mean, just transformational. It changed. Uh, uh, I mean, we changed like just a ton in that era. Well, we got back together. Uh, in fact, we got back together, you know, f- you know, a few months after six months, obviously, you know, the rest of the story, we're married, we're going to celebrate our 20th anniversary in September. Aww. And so, uh, but I look back on that era, and I just think, man, what would have happened... If, if I in my stubbornness would have continued that direction to, to just react, to just go off an impulse of what I really wanted, if I would have just continued to presume that I knew exactly what God's timing was, exactly what God's will was, exactly what, if I would have gone in that direction, I just think, man, how much damage would have been done? Tina would say, and I would agree, I would, I would say this as well, but she would have said in that error, she goes, I, I feel like the work that God did in us, like he saved our marriage before it started. I'll tell you what, there's this, there's this idea that we're going to be talking about today, and the idea is this, is that so often presumption keeps us from pausing and turning to God and when we, when we refuse to pause when we won't slow down when we won't hit the pause button and move off of just impulse and whatever it is that I want if we when we refuse to do that it leads to pain and regret and confusion and all kinds of things but when we when we learn to pause God God brings prosperity to us. And I don't mean like health and wealth gospel, like you'll get everything you ever wanted and you'll be rich and money will be falling from the sky. No, but I just feel like life goes well. He'll, he brings life and breathes life into us as we learn to pause, as we learn to turn Godward, as we learn to trust him and follow him in those ways. Sometimes presumption keeps us from seeking God. Sometimes, uh, Presumption keeps us from, from slowing down long enough to even ask the right questions, keeps us from pausing and leaving space for God to intervene, for God to work, for God to lead. And so often we miss out on God and His best plans for us, His best stuff for us as a result. I'm gonna think we're all guilty of this sometimes. I, I, I tell a funny story about me and about us but I think all of us do this sometimes, don't we? We just, presumption sort of gets annoyed. Let me give you some examples. We'll try to uncover the need here. How many people in the room have ever gotten a significant raise? Like where you were making less and you got a raise or you got a bonus, or you got something, all of a sudden you have sort of a windfall of money. You have more money than you had before. Anybody ever had a raise? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, I'm not sure I believe you, right? Probably all of us have at some point. We've gotten a raise. And now let me just ask you, what it, I mean so you find out one day, hey, I'm going to be making $100 more or $500 more or $1,000 more or 10,000 whatever. You're going to make you're going to make more money than you had before. How many I mean, how many of you well, let's just ask this. What did you start thinking about almost instantly? What does your brain start going to? What kinds of things come up when you have extra money that's been given to you? What do you start thinking about? What can I buy? Yeah, what else? Vacation. Vacation. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Hobbies? Sure, absolutely. You start, some, some people start thinking about guitar gear, right, or whatever, musical gear, that kind of stuff. What else? Other things? We, we typically have a whole list of things that are, are whatever it is that we're passionate about, right? Whatever it is that we want, we start we naturally, impulsively just start rushing in that direction. Our minds start doing that, right? Oh, I want this, and I want that, and I want that. Maybe, I mean, some of us uh, might even think think about savings, right? Like, I'd love to put some of that away. I'd love to pay down some debt. I'd love to write like this and this and this. You start going through these checklists in your brain. But the, the thing that's interesting to me is hardly ever – would our impulse reaction be, let's stop, pause, and turn to God and say, God, you've given me extra money. What do you want me to do with it? Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, if if you've ever lost income, right, like you had income, and now you have less, or now you don't have any, do you think you hit your knees during that season? You think so? absolutely right that's the first we're like oh god how am i gonna ever survive but the opposite isn't the same right i mean when we when we end up with more we're like i got this i understand how to spend money right like i have no problem with that i understand what to do with extra excess money i spend it on whatever it is that i want and then all of a sudden you get to the end of the year and you think where did that race go Right, what what happened to it? There was money there and now it's gone. I have no idea. We're, we're kind of dumbfounded, it. but, but it's sort of an impulse because we have this presumption about when I have extra money, I can just do whatever I want with it. My question is, what if God had different plans in store for you? What if you wanted to do something extraordinary with that money? What if you wanted to save somebody's life with that money? What if you want, I mean like, you see what I'm saying? So, uh, so often, right when we're just operating out of impulse and presumption, it just keeps us from pausing, from turning God word and opening up and saying, God, what do you want to do with with what you've entrusted to me? Well, that's one example. Let me give you. A, let me give you a couple more. Uh, if you are, uh, l- let's put it in. The, uh, the dating scene context. Let's say there's a hot guy or a hot girl, and you're single, right? And they're nice to you, and they sort of stroke your ego a little bit. They make you feel really good about yourself, and they, they make it known to you that they would like to spend time with you. they like to date you. Now, oftentimes, right? It doesn't require much thinking. It doesn't require much praying. It doesn't, I mean, I like them. They're nice. They're fun to be with. I don't want to be alone, I, right? I mean, like, I, I want to be married. It's something I desire. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. I'm not sure there's a whole bunch of people that want to be with me. And so we oftentimes, without pausing, without doing anything, we're like, well, heck yeah. Like, we know what to do with that. Somebody attractive wants to be with me. I'm single. You say, yes, right? i don't need to pray about that i don't need to pause i don't need to whatever we just go with it one more example how about uh how about in house shopping or whatever you go to a bank get pre-approved for however much money they say is this is what you can afford they tell you this is what you can afford to, to buy a house and so you've got this amount of money and how much when you go looking for a house how much of this do you think that you go looking for you go looking for all of it, right? Like because we understand how this works. Why in the world would I get an apartment if I could have something better? Why would I get a one or two bedroom house if I could get a three or four or five bedroom house? Why would I live in that neighborhood if I could live in this neighborhood? We always think about how can we possibly get the squeeze the absolute most out, get the absolute most uh, out of you know, that that amount of money or whatever. How do we get the most house for that? Because that's better we think. I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to think about it. That's what I, I bigger is better. More is better. So of course I would go in that direction. Am I just talking to myself or you guys you guys smell when I'm stepping in here? Do we do that kind of thing? Do you see that tendency? Presumption in our head, what we presume, the things that are sort of our gut, our impulses, those kinds of things keep us from pausing and turning Godward in finding and experiencing his best as a result. I was thinking this week of all the different places uh, throughout God's book, and there's a ton of them, where people get into trouble because they simply don't pause. Because they're like, you know what? I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to seek God. I know what to do. I know what to do. And I was thinking, man, how many times... Have we read the human story, our story, right, in the pages of scripture where, like, this is what happens, and, man, pain comes as a result, or loss comes as a result. I was thinking of a story from uh, Numbers 13. It's about... God prompts Moses to send out 12 spies into this amazing land that, that God has promised to give to the people of Israel. So he sends them out. Uh, the problem is that it's occupied at the moment, right? And so he sends out 12 spies to kind of check out the land before they cross over and, and uh, God has promised to give them this land. But, but he's, they kind of send spies out to check out the territory, to kind of see what it's like. And all 12 of them come back and say, oh my goodness, this land is amazing, right? It's, it's awesome. It's better than I could have imagined. The, the way they describe it is they say it's a land flowing with milk and honey, right, which is sort of code words like it's very prosperous, right? It's, it's, it's a good land. There's all kinds of stuff growing there. It's abundant. There's going to be, uh, you know, all kinds of crops. It's going to be amazing. But 10 of the people, 10 of the spies that came back said this, oh, it was a really good land. But they said, but the people that live there, and that uh, are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. And what are they and, and, and we kind of know what to do this they're doing a cost-benefit analysis saying we know we've got this number of uh, farmers and whatever over here that, that, that constitute our army right They're saying we checked out the land over there and they're fortified cities they've got for real soldiers they're big and scary and, and they're like, I don't think we can take them And so what's their suggestion? When we're afraid, what's what's our impulse oftentimes? Run away, run away, right? <laughs> so they, they're like, no, there's no way we can take them. They don't pause. They don't think about it. There's no insertion of God or what he can do or his will or his plans. And so They're like, no, these people are too big. The cities are too big and fortified. There's no way we could ever do it. And so the people... They they persuade the people of that day. So instead of going into a land that God had promised to give them, what do the people do for the next 40 years? They wander around in the desert. A journey that should have taken 10 or 11 days takes them 40 years. And the entire generation, including those 10 spies, die off in the desert. Two of the 12 spies have a different... before I even go there, I just, I found myself wondering this week and just thinking, man, I wonder if those 10 spies, I wonder if they ever regretted it. I wonder if they ever regretted letting fear get the better of them. I wonder, you know, on year 20, let's say, of wandering around in circles in the desert, just marking time and waiting to die. I wonder if they, uh, there was ever a moment of clarity where they said, you know what, if only we would have paused And sought God. If only we would have gone over and experienced for ourselves this amazing land that God had promised to us. The two spies, there's two of the spies that came back. They saw the same good land. They saw the same uh, armies and giants and fortified cities and all this kind of stuff. But, but as you read through the story, there's like a place where God gets inserted into the middle of it. It's not just reaction out of fear. It's not just, oh, man, I know what to do when there's big, scary people. We run away kind of thing. There's a pause, and there's a moment in where they said, you know what? It's true, but they said, our, our God is bigger. He's able. He could give it to us today. He could work in ways that we never could. They're the only two people that are allowed to enter the promised land 40 years later to settle, to, to, to settle their families into this amazing land. I found myself wondering, I wonder how often you and I miss out on promised lands that God has for us because we simply presume we know what to do rather than to pause and to see what God can do. Without a pause people plunge into confusion and pain and despair. But when we learn to pause, we prosper, right? We experience God's blessing and favor and everything else. Another classic example uh, that we, where we see this is a story of David and Bathsheba. David, good guy or bad guy? good guy, right? He's referred to as a man after God's own heart, a godly guy. He is a, one of the rare good kings. In fact, probably the best king in the Old Testament, the best king in Israel's history. But there's a moment in which the pause doesn't come for David. And man, it wreaks havoc for generations in his family. Let me read you a little bit of the story. It uh, comes from Second Samuel 11, one through five. It says, in the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, But David didn't. David sends Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. By the way, this would have been an excellent place for him to pause and say, I shouldn't be looking at this, and to turn away, right? Like if we could have inserted God in the middle of this. But he doesn't, there's no pause. Going on, it says the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man came back and said, "She's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. Again, okay, we're still good. to listen to this, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Think there should have been a pause here? Absolutely. Says so then David sent the messenger to get her. She came to him and he slept with her, and then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word word to David saying, "I am pregnant." So David is looking around and sees a very beautiful woman. He's attracted to her. He finds out that she's married. Should have been the end of that story. But instead he thinks to himself, you know what? I'm the king. What I want, I should have. So go get her for me. There's no pause. It's just impulse. I want her. And so she's brought before him. He sleeps with her and he sends her back home. He's probably thinking one night stand. End of that story. But there's a problem. She's pregnant. Bad story, right? But it gets worse because David's like, you know, there's still no pause. David's like, okay, she's pregnant and she's married. This is going to be – her husband is off to war. This is going to be very bad because everybody's going to know it wasn't her husband, right? And so he thinks, but there's still no pause. I'm going to take care of this, he thinks. And so he does. He he arranges for her husband to get killed in battle and then uh, brings her home to have as his wife. And he thinks, he still thinks, okay, I got this. I know what to do. No pause necessary. I can take care of this. But he gets found out as we always do, right? His actions and his impulsiveness catch up to him, and the consequences are devastating. Sometimes we can get so easily blinded and so easily swept away by presumption and impulse. We just go after whatever it is that we want, whatever catches our eye at that moment, rather than pause. Pause. And as a result, it does tremendous damage. It cost David tremendous pain, unbelievable dysfunction in his own family, including, I mean, man, rape and jealousy and murder, uh, incest, all kinds of things come because David didn't pause. Again, sermon in a sentence, right? This is what we're talking about today. Without a pause, people plunge into deception and into confusion and into pain. But as we learn to pause... We prosper. One more, I thought this was interesting uh, this week. Matthew 16, Jesus uh, starts kind of pulling back the curtains a little bit on exactly why he came. And so he starts teaching his disciples over and over and over and saying, you know, what? this is what's going to happen. We're going to go up to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to be killed. I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die for the sins of the people. I'm going to die at the hands of the religious leaders. And then on the third day, I'm going to be raised back to life again. And at this point, Peter gets all ticked off and indignant, and he pulls Jesus aside, and he says this in Matthew 16, 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. You, this shall never happen to you. We'd never let that happen, he's saying. We'd fight for you. We'd raise a rebel. We'd never let you go to the cross. Jesus turned, and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you don't have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. Imagine what would have happened if Peter would have had his way. There would have been no cross. There would have been no resurrection. There would have been no risen Savior. And what does that mean for you and me? That means we would still be dead in our sins. We would still be headed for a Christless eternity. We would be separated from God. We would be living life quite literally without hope for the future, without hope for the present, there would be no God living inside of us. It would be us on our own. I mean, think of the consequences of that. Think of the destruction that would come. Without a pause, people plunge. How often does this happen to us? We presume to understand. We presume to know what God wants, but the truth is is that we're deceived and we're only thinking from a human perspective. We're only thinking about ourselves and what we'd want. And if we'd only learn to pause and turn Godward, we might get a glimpse of what God's really doing. Well, Let's turn the corner uh, for the rest of the time. I want us to look at one chapter in the book of James that kind of deals with this. And I'm going to start out kind of towards the end of the chapter, and then we're going to switch around and come back to it in a little bit. But I think it kind of captures this uh, pretty well. James 4, starting with verse 13, says this. This is James, the brother of Jesus, says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life, he says. You're like a mist, a haze that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead... uh, He's saying, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast and you brag in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. I read that. I read that this weekend. I'm thinking, that's what we do, though, isn't it? We we scheme. We come up with ideas. We plan things out in our minds. are like, I got this, right? I'm going to go here or there. I'm going to go make money for a while. I'm going to go... Be with this person. I'm going to go do this or that. I just, it just makes sense. I did a cost benefit analysis in my head. There's no need for a pause. I don't have to pray about it. I got this. We do that, right? He's saying this is what happens. And he's saying, man, what is your life? Don't you understand? He's like, he's like, it's like, it's like fog on a mirror. It's like you go up to the window in the winter and you blow hot air on it, oh, and you know how it fog's up. And as soon as it gets, you, you stop breathing. What happens? You can watch it disappear, right? It's like, what's your life? You're like that. Instead, you ought to pause. And you ought to say, you know what? Instead, seek out God's will. If it's God's will, I'm going to do this. I want to follow him. I want his plans. I want his direction for my life. Instead, we ought to pause and follow him. One of my uh, best friends in college, a guy by the name of Kevin Hacker. Kevin uh, was I mean, about as good as you get in the whole college game. He was great. He had an A average during his four years at college. He uh, I mean, he was an all-American athlete. I mean, he was great that way. He was, uh, you know, president or something of the student council, and one of the officers anyway, the student council in our college. I mean, he just, he's a good-looking guy. Everybody liked to be with him. He was friendly, uh, all that kind of stuff. I mean, he was kind of winning at the whole game of life. And I can remember, uh, I mean, I can remember there was a season he, he was a computer science major. And so it's getting towards the end of his senior year, and uh and he's trying to think about, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And he has this little stirring that's going on in his soul, just a little bit. And he's, he's wondering if God isn't calling him to something, whether missions or you know, some, some sort of ministry or some sort of whatever. And he starts, he starts thinking, yeah, I mean, maybe there's something going on there. But the problem is, is there's this, there's this battle waging within him because he'd gone and had uh, four or five different interviews at four or five different companies in the region. And he got offered all of the jobs, four or five of them including uh, what was the most lucrative job offer of anybody at our college that year. It was a ton. Somebody was offering him a truckload of money to come and work for him. And, and he was torn. I mean, he was wrestling with this. And he's like, you know what? I mean, that's just what people do, right? I mean, this is what all this leads to. You do all these extracurricular activities. You go to college. You work your butt off. You do all these things so that you can get a good job, so that you can make a lot of money, right? That's, that's sort of the American way. It's what we do. I don't need to think about it or pray about it or whatever. And yet there's this little stirring that's going on with him. And so he's wrestling with this decision. He shared it with a few uh, of us that are his friends. And in the middle of that, he reads this passage from James 4 because uh, cause, cause he even he'd even, even gone to the point of him saying, you know what? Maybe I could just do it for a year or two. I could just go to that city. I could make some money, right? And it would be I could store it. I could put, put away tens of thousands of dollars every year. He's like, after just a handful of years, I could be set for life. If I wanted to do missions or ministry or something later on in life, I could probably just pay cash for it, right? I, I'd be set. Like, it just makes sense. I did the cost-benefit analysis. I don't need to. You know, I, I don't need to figure this out. This make, just makes sense. So it's in the middle of that that he opens up the book of James and he starts reading in his personal time. He, he reads James four that says, "Now listen to you, listen you who say I'm going to go to this city or that, make money, carry on business, and do that." He's like, "What is your life? You're, you're like a mist, a haze that vanishes after just you know, just so briefly." He said, "Instead, you ought to say, if it's God's will." What he heard in the midst of that is he heard God saying, "Would you pause?" Would you? I mean, I know what your plans are. I know what your knee-jerk, impulsive reaction is—is to go over here. But would you pause? And I might call you to do that. But would you pause and actually seek out my will for you, instead of just assuming, instead of just going in that direction? Would you pause and turn Godward and seek out my will? Over the next few weeks, he did that, and God called him to to pause from that direction for a few years and go do submission stuff and then God brought it back. But I'll tell you what, it was, in, it was in that era. God transformed his life. It was a huge lesson. It, it affected who he became. It affected his, the, the entire trajectory of his life. Learning to pause changed his life. God had spoken, and he was never the same. What if you and I could do the same? What if, what if God is speaking to you these days in the big things but also the little things of life? What if instead of the knee-jerk reactions, which is the way that most of the time we live by, what if God wants to insert himself in the midst of that, wants to lead you and guide you? What if he wants to do something extraordinary in you? What if he has huge plans for you that we're missing because we simply don't pause? What if taking the normal path that everybody else chooses, what if we could learn to pause and hear God speaking and directing us to a better path? I wonder how God would work. I wonder how our lives would look different. I wonder how God's kingdom would bust in to our families and our workplaces and our communities if we'd simply learn to pause. Let me go back to the beginning. I'm going to read uh, James, just the first few first few verses. I'm going to kind of read through, and we'll come back to it in a second. You pull up that next slide. Uh, there we go. It says this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? James starts out. What causes all this stuff in your life? He says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, and so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. It says, don't you understand? You don't have because you don't ask God. You're going the wrong place. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, selfish motives. You may spend what you get on your pleasure. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means Enmity means hatred towards God. Keep going. It says, therefore, anyone who chooses uh, to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God. Or you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he's caused to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows grace or gives grace and favor to the humble. Let's so keep going. It says this, it says, submit yourselves then to God. You just pause there for a second. Uh, I, love, I love the imagery here. He's kind of going back and painting a picture there at the beginning, saying, Don't you understand? When you are just, when you just presume, when you're just plowing forward and going through your own impulses, I want this and I want that and I want that. He's like, Don't you understand? That doesn't lead anywhere good. He said, Instead, you ought to, you ought to learn to pause. And this is, this is where he's going from there. We well, gotta learn to pause. Submit yourselves then to God, he says. He's basically saying, Would you trust me with those things? He's like, he said, I know you want to be married, for instance, but would you trust me with the process, with the timing and with the person? I, he said, I know you want to feel secure, but instead of going after money, would you look to me? Would you trust in me? I know you want to live someplace else, maybe you want to live at Disney World or the beach or the mountains or whatever. But instead, would you, would you entrust yourself to me? I put you here for a reason. I know that you want to find joy and life and happiness, but instead of charging up your credit card and going after the next Happy Meal or whatever else, would you trust in me? I know what's best. I made you. I'm for you. He says, remember, your perspective is real limited. It's like fog on a window. But God's perspective is eternal and his wisdom is infinite. So would you trust me? He's saying, submit yourselves to me. Would you pause and wait on me? Would you submit and follow me? He says this, verse 7. Submit yourself, submit your desires, your heart, your relationships, everything to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He's referring back to that stuff, the impulse stuff, greed, desire, coveting. Flee from that stuff. And then verse 8, come near to God. Would you pause? Would you turn Godward? Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughing laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's sort of a picture of repentance. Thing. I know, I know the impulse. I know where you've been heading. I know this direction. But would you pause? Would you turn back to God? right? Would you repent of that? The, just going your own way, doing your own thing. Would you turn away from that? Turn back to God and find life. And he ends by saying, humble yourselves then before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Entrust yourself to God, and he will lift you up. He'll bring you life. Crazy, I'm going to wrap up here quickly, but... Let me just kind of say this God God in the book of James uh, I just was struck this week he's painting two different pictures right the first picture is the picture of what it looks like as we just sort of go on impulse as we just sort of go with our own plans our own presumption and he paints a picture of the consequences of that he says but there's another way there's a better way it's over here it's found as we pause as we turn Godward as we entrust ourselves to him and their benefits I kind of uh, kind of threw these together self i put verses next up go to that next slide if you would oh, maybe yeah there it is he said the first the first path he said that presumption that just sort of going our own way it's marked by this is what james four says it's marked by strife and corals verse one it's marked by that insatiable materialism like i need i need i need gimme 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 but it's never enough never enough uh kind of thing. Third one is hopelessness and dissatisfaction. That's verse two, egocentric, sort of all about me lifestyle in the wake that comes in our lives when that happens. Verse four says this hatred towards God. And and the last one is it just brings destruction and pain. He's like, that's one way to live. Do you think he's painting a good picture or a bad picture? That's not the way you want to live your lives. But if you would learn to pause and turn Godward, he's saying, I got something better in store. Without a pause, people plunge, but when we pause, we prosper. Go to that next slide. The pause, like that kind of life, that friendship with God, he says, it's marked by this, it's marked by, he gives us more grace, unending grace, right? The favor of God, verse 6, submission to God, verse 7, freedom from the devil's schemes, verse 7, closeness to God, draw near to him, he'll come near to you, right? Verse 8, purity uh, is verse 9, or verse 8, and uh, of course verse 10 says, man, as we entrust ourselves to him, he will exalt us. like God is screaming through the pages of his book here. He's saying, there is a better way to live. God's desire is not for us just to cruise through life on autopilot, just being enslaved by our desires and our wants. We're meant for something more. Again, God says, pause and turn towards me entrust yourself to me. I want to do life with you, God says. I want to teach you and lead you. I want to guide you and fill you and help you to become all that I imagine you could be all that I've made you to become. I've got huge plans in store for you. I, it's better if you'll simply learn to pause and turn towards me and follow. One more story and we'll, we'll be done for the day. I can remember uh, several years ago, I watched a NASCAR race, which is not something I do all that often, but uh, we were in Wisconsin at the time. I had a lot of friends that were NASCAR fans. I turned it on and they happened to be uh, talking about that day, about a, an era, a time when, uh, when race tr- uh, r- racers Drivers were on their own Pretty much They'd be going around the track They had no communication With the pit Or with their with their crew chief And so they had to keep track Of all this kind of stuff On their own They had to keep track Of what place they were in where you know Who they were go- coming up against They had to keep track Of how much fuel they had How the tires were doing They had to do The sort of mental calculations Of do I need to stop And get more fuel Or get different tires Or do I have enough That I can finish the race They had to do all that Kind of stuff on their own But then like 20 I don't know 25 uh, Maybe plus years ago something like that, uh the NASCAR made it legal for in-helmet um communication so so that the driver could be in direct communication with their crew chief. And at that time when when all of a sudden the communication line had been opened up, how many of the drivers do you think decided, okay, I think I might want to have that, I think I might want to be in that constant communication with the crew chief. How many would you guess? All of them, right? Because they recognize there's, there is somebody out there that has more wisdom, has better perspective, a, I mean, a broader perspective. They can see the whole of what's going on. They've got other, other resources available that you don't have. Of course you would want to stay in constant communication with them. Well, friends, the same is true with us. The same is true with us, right? We have a God, the living God, who wants to do life with you. He wants to speak to you. He has better info available than what you and I have. He has a better vantage point than where we're sitting. He really wants what's best for you. He wants you to succeed in life. And he's just encouraging and speaking and almost begging us, saying, would you learn this week? Would you learn? Would you be willing to pause when there's a decision to be made? Would you learn to pause and turn Godward. Don't just do the impulse thing. Would you learn to pause when you get up in the morning? Would you learn to pause? Would you open up his book and learn to hear his voice in the pages here and say, God, I want to I want to be led by you today. I want to be filled by you. I want to live my life with you today. Would you learn to pause when things are going great and we're getting raises and you know, everything's going our way? Would you learn to pause and turn Godward and say, God, this we recognize you tell us that every good and perfect gift is from you, so it's from you, so thank you. But also, what do you want me to do with this, this life, this opportunity, this day? I've got a friend uh, that goes through the day, and every time he sees a doorknob, it's a reminder for him to pray and to turn Godward to pause. Before he opens the door, uh, he'll he'll just kind of say, in, you know, kind of in his head, just say, God... I don't know what's on the other side of this door. I don't know what opportunities, what people, what problems, what situations. But, but I just want to pause and just recognize that you're with me. Just pray that you'd lead me and guide me. Give me your wisdom. I want to follow you today. Maybe as we just sort of go through this, maybe we need to do something like that just as a reminder to pause. And in, in our own souls just turn Godward. Maybe there's things that are going well. Maybe things are going terrible. And we just need to hit our knees and just pause and pray and say, God, we need you. Would you come and intervene? Would you give us wisdom to know next steps? Would you open doors that we never could? Would you, would you have your way in me? Friends, there's something better. There's life. God wants to, to breathe life into us as we learn to pause and turn towards him. Let's close in prayer. God, that's our cry. That is our heart and our desire. Uh, Today, Lord, would you teach us to do life with you like that? Would you teach us to pause? Lord, it's hard. It's sort of countercultural in our day, and we are so conditioned to just go with whatever we want, whatever we just impulses is hitting us right now, whatever catches our eye. But, God, we don't want our souls to wither. We don't want to miss out on opportunities that you have for us. And quite frankly, I just, I mean, you do much better at the heavy lifting than we do <laughs> and so god i pray that you would lead and that you would direct that you would uh just even today even this week that as we feel our souls just getting frantic as we uh, even just recognize the impulses that are intervening in us god would you teach us to pause as decisions come up would you teach us to pause and turn away from just those things submit ourselves to you draw near to god and and then, uh, and then hold on for the ride of our lives as we get to see the living God come to meet with us. Open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. Humble our hearts to pursue you and to follow you and to, to do life with you, God. We need you and we love you. Come and have your